I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. This is a wonderful episode. My guest for today is Rachel Harvest, and we talk all about influences such as being a ballet dancer, family influences, external influences that all are things that get trapped in our body and manifest into an eating disorder. It's really wonderful. So let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really excited to introduce our guest today, Rachel Harvest. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here. You've got so much good, exciting stuff going on. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am somewhat of a wellness every woman. By trade, I am a registered dietitian. I am also a life coach, which was a progression that just naturally happened, and a dialectical behavior therapy practitioner, uh, formerly professional ballerina, progressed into Pilates apparatus teaching, but essentially everything body, mind, spirit oriented around wellness and into it and doing it. Okay. Already sounds fascinating. So Rachel, let's just start with a little bit about what got you here today. I don't know if ballet played into your eating disorder. You know, I never want to make assumptions, but what got you here to the recovery place and now working as you are? Ballet played a role, I would say in general, I often allude that childhood is somewhat of a prison because you don't know anything outside your four walls. And being in a ballet studio, being a child of a very strict Catholic family, um, having a mother who definitely had some sort of disordered eating, though I never saw it, um, and actually prematurely died when I was 21, all of that sort of came together into... A need to be rigid with myself. I think that all three of those things were examples of either extreme rigidity and perfectionism or something that looked like a lack of it. My my mother lived in a larger body. So having that restrictiveness around me seemed to be a way to protect from whatever was going on with her. So when I got to a space where I was in my mid to late 20s and I had lost her and it was very much and have been on my own, that became my way of keeping myself in line and keeping myself quote unquote safe. 
So if we were going to now come into today, because, you know, as you said, it was, you know, a child being in four walls, like a prison, a family system, all of this. Now you've created this method where you have these four pillars and I'm which I'd love for you to talk about, obviously. And I I'm wondering if they came out of your experience of not having the pillars that are great, like self-love, self-trust, things like that. Oh, of course. When I stopped dancing in my late twenties was when I began going to therapy. And that was when the walls sort of dropped. Uh, I have always been an artist you know, someone who's very much in there, self-express my own person, I individuate quite a bit. You know, I have a very colorful life, especially post my education when I finally got to be free, you know, but when I started therapy, I started realizing that there was so much conditioned into me about who I was supposed to be and how I was supposed to be. And it wasn't me. So learning the first pillar is self-knowledge. And that's truly learning about who you are. And my method is the harvest method, which is by last name. So it's a proverbial harvest of all the things that I do and my, you know, namesake. But, you know, knowing about yourself is your own harvest. It is all the things about you, your interests, your experiences, how they come together, your genetic predisposition, you know, just who you are and how you are. So when someone learns about themselves they get informed on how to care for themselves and that's the next step it's like you can learn and you can get educated on all these different things and then there's doing it so as one practices self-care that's appropriate to them and who they are finding themselves to be they learn to trust themselves because when you're caring for yourself or you're pretending you're someone else or you've made yourself believe even pretending with yourself that you're someone else you can't trust the way you take care of yourself because it's not taking care of you. So in that process, the trust is built. And then the final part is truly about a reverence for, you know, your body, for the life you're living, for the opportunity to have that. And it's self-respect and how to maintain that and how to have all the things happen in your life without letting that go. Because I think a lot of us, I don't want to be too gender specific, but I think a lot of women more so give up parts of themselves to have what they want. And that's not respectful of who you are. So all of that goes into, you know, nutrition counseling, working with people with disordered eating, which is one of my specialties in behavioral health nutrition, and then has progressed into coaching aspects of life. I think that how we do one thing is how we do everything. I say that a lot. And I also say that eating disorders are not about food. And the understanding that this is some sort of battle within yourself that can be resolved by connecting and understanding yourself and what you need is absolutely amazing in all different clientele. So that's really where it came from and why I love those four pillars pillars as something to start from and people receive it well. 
As you were talking, there were a few things that I wanted to point out. First of all, you said the way you were talking about the pillars from from my self-reflection, it feels like all of it is learning to live in your values. And I don't mean to simplify because living in our values is not always easy when we are bombarded by an external world, whether it's media, politics, you know, whatever it is, you name it. I mean, it is really an incredible journey to go within. So do the discovery, the research, then understand self and then live through those values. It's it's very powerful. The other thing I thought of was when you said, if you do it once, you do it all the time. And I'm paraphrasing. So can you say that one more time? How you do one thing is how you do everything. I have very often said to clients, and I learned this from working with Carolyn Costin, which is there's an assignment that we give clients and it says, how might, how is it, how does it go? Forgive me, everyone. How my eating disorder is like, how is my... I got it. How is my relationship with food like my relationship with people? So do I restrict my food? Do I restrict my emotions with people? Do I binge on food? Do I binge on a, like, do you know what I'm saying? So that's, that's what I thought of. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Well, I think that one of the things that I have dabbled in is different types of somatic therapies. And one in particular feeds off of a teaching around patterns of behavior that there are particularly five from development. Um, And one of them that I find two of them, three of them, actually all of them, but let's say three in particular that I find really connected to disordered eating is the idea of if I don't know what I want, I'd rather not want anything. And how that manifests in relationships is I'm going to take care of you and be really good at that. So you don't know, I don't know how to take care of me. So how to be the caretaker. And previous to that, it can be like the damsel in distress to get your attention, which people think is cute, but then you don't really know what you need. And that, you know, goes through everything in your life then. So would enduring so the idea that at some point someone made you do something stay at the table finish your plate finish you know the whole serving even if you don't like it when you're a little itty bitty baby that becomes a pattern where you do give up but on the inside you're like you can't make me and that definitely pervades people's lives where they're just the anarchist you know and then really that rigidity i've already spoken to where something works to be hard on yourself or you find yourself in a position where things need to be black and white for you so that you know what to do. And that black and white thinking is so dangerous and so incorrect. It's not based in reality. That's where the the dialectical behavior therapy comes in so strong in my work too, where you got to find the middle path. It's, it's not either or, it's both and. And that pattern can be used and all of them can be used as a gift where we understand that rigidity pushing us in a direction where we are really committed and passionate about caring for ourselves and learning that skill but you have to get there 
you have to know you're doing something and be conscious of it in order to shift and change where it comes from. Are you able to walk listeners a little bit deeper through the pillars, what goes into them, how they how they work through through each one? And, and are they all connected, meaning you have to do one in order to make it to the next one, in order to make it to the next, and in order to make it to the fourth? They naturally progress in that order. I have, I intake clients, patients, whatever's coming. And we have the discussion of where are you? What are you looking for? Tell me a little history. And it's very interesting as a dietitian who treats disordered eating that people often come to us first where they're like, I just want to know how to eat. I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to be addicted to sweets. I just want to have some balance. I want you to give me a menu. And in that intake conversation, I explain, well, yes, there is functional nutrition that has your body work at its best and heals stress and inflammation and digestive things and gets you proper nourishment. And we do need that. And we also need the behavioral health aspect, which is understanding that there's a cause for all these needs for control and needs for a plan and need to be guided, but also just put in a line and told what to do. And even in that first conversation, I say, this is a long process. It is not a comfortable one. You have a lot of support here, but we are going to open doors about you that you don't know. So if you can come from the space that I don't know is empowering instead of I need to know. And if I don't know, it's a very dangerous place for me, then we'll get better at releasing the reins and learning because you don't know because you're just learning this about yourself and it's a little jarring or makes you feel vulnerable or uncomfortable, how do we take care of that? And who do you need? What do you need? How do you need to break down your life so that you have nourishing relationships, you have nourishing conversations, you have nourishing input? You know, it's not, it's holistic. It's not just proteins, fats, and carbs, vitamins, and minerals, you know, and it's interval Although those external cues are helpful sometimes when people don't have the internal, but there's an aspect of mindfulness, there's emotional regulation as you're talking about and being able to tolerate stress and being able to get what you want and need with other people, you know, isn't are major aspects of healing so that the triggers and the environments you're in don't encourage you not to use the new skills and the care that you're seeing you need. So you can hear how that makes you trust it if you keep on keeping on and, you know, essentially practice, practice, practice. And the respect piece is part of it. I mean, there's, we want to meet objectives. We want to have good relationships. And the only way that truly works and you're in the relationships you want to be in and you're doing what you want to do and you're happy with it and connected to your life is if, again, you know, you respect yourself and your values. And honestly, I haven't mentioned it I rarely mention it unless it's in my, I have an ebook that I call Project Love Me. 
this is a recipe for loving yourself. It really is just getting that you're the only person that is with you 100% of the time in your life. And it's a little silly to have an argument and dislike or distance yourself from yourself, like that one person. So that comes from it. Yeah. Say a little bit more about Project Love Me. <laughs> project Love Me. When I was learning to life coach, I, I did a project where um, I created questions to ask yourself about whether or not you love yourself, about whether or not you understand you know, your emotions. And it, again, snowballed. I am very clear and I'm, I'm, I am a spiritual person. I'm very clear that there's something out in front of me that I just keep on following. Like it just, sometimes I stay in the same place and then all of a sudden I get an idea and I'm like, okay, that's what we're doing now. And this is the path we're going. So finally I put Project Love Me together into an ebook actually in I began it in the fall of 2019 and I finished it right as the pandemic hit in my, I have sound bites in the ebook in my closet, you know, making sure that I did have good sound while I was locked in my home. <laughs> um, but the, it takes you through the 26 letters of the alphabet and each letter stands for an aspect of what one can do to, to really suss out whether they love themselves and understand themselves. So it's a lot of self-knowledge and self-care. It's, it's the same four pillars in a different form, but the love is put out first. And it's like A is awareness, B is body talk, C is creativity, D is distress tolerance, E is emotions, F is feelings, and so on. And taking people all the way through, I have a very big affinity and I identify as a highly sensitive person. And X is one of my favorites because I call it X-Men, you know, the X-Men, where they don't know that they have a superpower until they're, you know, given access to that knowledge and then they hone it. And I find sensitivity to be a superpower when honed. So that's an aspect, whether people really understand that. But I do believe that when people really connect to themselves and find more of who they are, who they want to be, maybe purpose, that they also unlock that sensitivity. I think that that's a progression of humans. Partial, as I said, but I, I really do believe that. I don't know why I'm so curious, but what is Z? Z, like sleeping. You need to rest. So I'm sitting here in my head going, Z, zoo, zipper. I'm like, what is it? It's really important. It's a necessary part of your wellness and letting letting things settle in, you know, giving your time and space. Let me ask you a question. I don't know why this is coming to my mind. I would imagine because self-love is a, a pretty, how do I say this? Um, it, it takes years. <laughs> it takes enlightenment it takes it takes so much that that a lot of people feel that it's not possible to attain and sometimes i even say to my clients let's not look for self love let's just look for neutrality where you're not criticizing yourself critiquing yourself it it will come do you notice that people maybe go through the book a number of times because i can't imagine you go from a to z and suddenly you're like poof 
self-love. I just, I love the, the concept of it though, Rachel. I just, it's just so interesting. I mean, and there's, a, it's like education, questions to really suss things out and activity that's, you know, you listen to in each letter and no, no one's going to access that in 26 lessons. I do encourage people to take a week with a lesson. So they spend six months with it. Uh, but that being said, a little dialectical, you can be angry and judgmental of yourself and love yourself. You can show signs of disrespect and leaving yourself and still love yourself. It's a wave just like any other emotion. It's also something that includes all sides. It's, we have a dark side. We have a negative side. Um, I think that realizing and learning the skill that judgments and assumptions and comparisons take away your access to why things happen and the ability to change things. So it's very important to point it out. There's another judgment. Oh. How can we just observe and describe that? You know, how can we do that? And those become skills to bring you again to that place where you accept the dark stuff and lean into the acceptance of yourself, which I think that they align. Acceptance and love. You don't just love yourself and you're perfect. There's no such thing. This does lead me into asking you are you are in the process of creating a course around this. So I would love to hear about it because this is how we navigate through life is by learning how to live in the middle because living in extremes, our our nervous system is constantly going. So I, I would love to hear about this course. No, one of the <laughs> elements of the harvest method, all the harvesting of goods is an absolute commitment to, you know, in, in the medical field, they say, you know, you see one, you do one, you teach one. So I saw someone using these skills when I was volunteering at an outpatient eating disorder facility. And I immediately asked her, what are you doing? I could use that, you know, and she explained to me. And so I went through the skills, which in the traditional sense, which I will say right off the bat in this course I'm creating is the best way, especially if someone is really struggling or has a diagnosis of a personality disorder like borderline or is a very extreme eating disorder and really needs help, it is the best way to work one-on-one. -on -one. It's second tier would be in a group. And then there are online, you know, nine-month courses that take people very slowly through the skills. I've decided, and I will say in my practice, Yes, I do. And most of us who treat people with eating disorders also have the parallel of some personality disorders. And, you know, if they come willing, dialectical behavior therapy is highly effective in treating them. So that's one of the other reasons why I was like, keep on saying this, I got to know these skills to help, you know, and their behavior skills. I don't need to be, you know, a, a PsyD to do this or a social worker. They're learning skills and teaching skills. So I use them in that cohort 
I use them with eating disorders. And then I just started. There's so many people that think black and white. I mean, there's a spectrum of disorder of all kinds, but I, I live in New York too. So the people that arrive in this city for whatever reason they come here are coming here for a very direct purpose. They want to succeed. They are black and white thinkers, male, female, in between, you know, or non-binary, you know? So I constantly found myself working on mindfulness, those four uh, topics or core skill sets in dialectic behavior therapy, one being mindfulness, one being interpersonal effectiveness, um, and then the third being emotion regulation, and then distress tolerance. Everybody needs that. Everybody, it can be used in schools, it can be used in companies, it can be used in families, it can be used in community groups. I mean, I'm one to believe too, and I know that some people really believe that this is not a part of faith communities, but I believe it's for everyone. I feel like it's skills. It's not telling people that there's something else to believe in, or it really is just learning and practicing and over learning. That's why it's a nine month thing for most people. But I'm designing it in a six module course that will open up in six weeks. You know, it's online, uh, but does include it all. So take your time kind of thing. But it's been really fun, too, because it's even when you see one and then you do one and then you teach one, you really get your master in something. Like I'm walking down the street right now like, oh, mindfulness. Oh, I'm judging something. Oh, I could really just observe that and describe it. And I could just participate wholeheartedly instead of being in my own self and getting into the neuroses of closing in and being in my judgments and just throw myself out there and really connect. Like all of those skills are so heartwarming and so beautiful for people to be able to be like, I need a minute right now. I'm having a really strong emotion and I, I'm going to let myself understand it so that I can connect to the rationale and logic. That's what we call wise mind, the middle ground, you know, um, I mentioned a couple of things about mindfulness and interpersonal effectiveness, the sort of dialecticals are around, like I mentioned before, what's most important? Is it meeting the objective? Is it maintaining or improving the relationship? Is it self-respect? Um, no matter what, there's a relationship and self-respect that should, I shouldn't say should, our best being there, should is not allowed. <laughs> um, you choose what's most important and then you work to maintain the others and that's how we sort of stay present to what we're doing and saying and asking and saying no to and creating in our lives and again then you stay tuned to your values and your morals and what you need and what's important to you how do you apply this in your nutrition counseling Oh my, mindfulness is huge. Present moment awareness, one-mindedness is stop multitasking. Don't get on your, you know, email while you're eating your lunch, put both feet on the floor, put your fork down between bites, notice color, temperature, texture, um, what you like about it, what it consists of, um, being mindful of judgments of yourself when it comes to, let's say someone binges, 
there's nothing to fix. So the next day you don't restrict and you try to release the battle within and understand one of the really beautiful parts of mindfulness is that we say you never change the behavior. The only thing that can be changed is the cause of it. And if you are judging, I mentioned this before, you can't access that. So release the judgment and really think about what, where did this come from? What, what was the thing that got me going earlier? And like I said, it's not about food in relationships and emotions and being in your emotion mind is highly triggering to disordered behaviors, not understanding your emotions even more so. Um, and often that's the cause. So I say, what are you feeling right now? Or what were you feeling or what was happening during the day? And most of the time people are like, I don't know, whatever. I was working. And then I came home and I was like, oh, so you came back online into yourself and realized you had needs all throughout the day. And now you're trying to stuff them in common. So that would be possibly feeling neglected or possibly feeling scared because the part of you, you're honestly your inner child. We could go that way, or we could just say the reparenting you need and the parenting of self that you're not doing is going to cause you to kind of go off the rails and throw a tantrum in some way. So all of that is, it's funny because I never in the The more free you are with all the stuff out here, because you get, okay, do I want to respond? Do I want to react? We don't necessarily have a thought, I want to react. That's impulsive. So the answer to that question is respond. And how do I do that if I'm going to stay with myself? You know, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to all of this. And and again, easier said than done. I, oh my gosh. I am as I said, I love to live in my values. I love to stay present. I love to experience things one at a time. And I'm completely impulsive. And so you, we can hold more, you know, multiple things. And, and I have been told a number of times by people just slow down. You don't need to answer right away. Just like you said, I don't, I need time. And what happens though with somebody when they're in an eating disorder is that impulsivity and the impulsive act. And again, this is where you're saying it's not about the food is to avoid the feeling of the moment. So you go to an impulsive act. I restrict, I push my dinner away. I binge and purge. I binge, I go on a 20 mile run, whatever it is. And so all of these are beautiful and we are constant students of this Rachel like constant students and i think i want to say that because or i know i want to say that because i want people to have compassion for themselves this is a beautiful way to live living mindfully is so beautiful and it's not always we don't always do it it's okay just you know what i mean go ahead you look like you're going to say something well you can't unsee things that's like the cosmic joke. 
It's like you learn a skill and you're like, whoa. I used to say this even when I taught Pilates. I, I used to call it Pilates paranoia. Like I would start to teach people about their posture and, you know, using their body, you know, as it's intended to be used. And people would be like coming back, like, I'm always doing this. And it's like, yeah, now you have an awareness. It, it, judging it doesn't help it. It's information. And that yes compassion self nurturing i mean if you asked many people in my life outside looking in i know how i perceive myself and i know that i have shadows that maintain my compulsive hyper vigilance and even like i get really into things is what i say you know and my perfectionism I think no people don't notice. Like I'll like put something out of order on the counter in my apartment. Everything else is pristine, you know. And I think that they'll be like, "Oh, she's chill." And people I know are like, "Rachel, very high standard." And I don't think that you mean to put it on people. And you know, people see it. And I'm sure when you're in, you know, a therapeutic role that it comes across as mothering or nurturing or supportive, but Outside of that, this is my thing to work on. This is my place to be mindful of my own high standards of, I, I am very good because I use that hypervigilance with it, with my inner critic. I think when I took the lid off that, I was like, wow. Say more about that. Let's let's talk about that. Well, combo platter. Um, ballet is perfection. I've been thinking this, Rachel. I've been sitting here through this whole interview saying your original wiring was in something where there is no middle ground. You either are perfect or you are not included in a ballet company or on stage or except I've been thinking this through the whole episode I'm like we need to get to the ballet so okay sorry for interrupting oh no it's I again those four walls you don't even know you don't even know people shouldn't be weighing you you don't even know that you know you being yelled at for not doing things correctly and disciplined into doing it again and again and again, and then told it's not enough over and over and over again and pushed beyond, like taken out of a, I don't know what normal means, but normal childhood where you, you have normal growth in relationships and things like that. Cause it's such, you know, it's all it is. It's all you do. And you know, uh, there was a point where I wasn't good enough to continue. And I had all the things and I had all the discipline and everything went down. That's when things got pretty bad and highly controlling for me. Uh, I will say that my home environment, I, I joke, but because I worked through it, I was raised by wolves. <laughs> There was no like latchkey, no discipline, like no real connection. My dad was very avoidant, as was my mother, probably because of some sort of depression. 
Um, and most of my mother's interactions with me were very judgmental and very stoic religiously. You know, telling me if my thoughts were negative, that negative things would happen to me. If things did happen to me, I asked for it, that I shouldn't, 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 shouldn't always. And, you know, that was my nurturing. That's what it looked like, let's say. And then when my mom passed when I was 21, you know, I have two brothers and my father, so three men, and then none of them know how to deal with emotions. All three of them are very avoidant um attachers <laughs> I've earned my uh security <laughs> it's taken time um but so I was left alone and I was left in a place where I could only use that only use that perfection and you know I have actually I have a sibling who's quite troubled um in addiction and I remember my first therapist saying well that was his adaptation to the environment and yours is perfectionism and achievement and learning more and getting it all. And obviously it has worked for me in many ways. And then there's that part that has to observe, like there's nothing wrong with me. There's no such thing as perfect. I am protected and guided in many ways. And I got street smarts and I'm not naive. And I'm, you know, now a 40 year old woman who's done very well taking care of herself. So all of those things that make it, oh my gosh, is it going to be okay? Am I safe? Am I doing it right? Am I a good person? I used to be very critical when the answer was always no. That piece, I really think I can hear very loudly in other people because I know it so well in myself, but it's, it's subsided in a way that I can be with myself more, mother myself more in a way that is truly nurturing and is flexible which is the opposite of what you experienced growing up that's something that i used in nutrition therapy too that the poles are dogma and rules and reckless abandon restriction binging but if we have guidelines and learn to have permission, then we come closer to the middle. And doesn't that sound like really good parenting to give a child guidelines so that they feel safe to explore and to have permission to do that and be able to return and learn from what they've you know, gone out and done. So it all goes together. I, I also want to point out, though, and, and I could be drawing a conclusion that's not accurate, but your world, the way you're describing it, your world in ballet and your world at home could not be more opposite, which must have been very confusing. Your world at home, no boundaries. You know, there wasn't a lot of structure, things like this. Your ballet world, all like you know, do it over, do it over, do it over, do it over, do it over. You're, you, it's, I, I mean, Rachel, it must've been very confusing to be young Rachel. Well, I think you grow up pretty fast. I, I think I was like very clear and aware of a lot of things at a very young age. Maybe that's the highly sensitive piece beginning, right? But I got at a very young age that 
pretty good at this, this dancing thing. And they keep on saying, follow this, follow this, this is next, this is next. Leave school at noon, come and train all evening, you know, work, dance all weekends, go away for summer programs, be very, that whole intensity. I mean, there's lots of young women and young girls who take ballet and they learn like to twinkle toe. You know, I went into and somehow landed in a place where it was really good training, got better and better and got seen. And I saw access to get out. I think that that was something that really drove that addiction to getting it right. Because I was like, I knew that that environment wasn't super healthy. And let me tell you, I, I have to always say this. I say this to anybody who comes at me with childhood stuff. I'm very clear and forgiving of that. And I understand that all parents do the best they can from the place that they're at. So you know, they didn't have the tools to be really connected. And I don't think that they de dealt with their own mental health. I, I'm from a, you know, a medium sized town in Pennsylvania. I'm, you know, and again, I said is raised Catholic. So that's not a part of, you know, psychotherapy is not a part of what people do to heal. You know, they, they have a relationship with God, you know? So I understand that. And I'm really happy I landed in New York and everybody's up there every year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we brunch, we do therapy, we go to the theater. Okay. By the way, that's, that has to be like the title of a book. We brunch, we go to therapy, we go to the theater. <laughs> Welcome to New York. <laughs> Welcome to New York. Oh my God. Rachel, I, I feel like I could go on for hours. And, and so I'm cautious. I don't want to ask any more questions because we're coming to an end. Um, and I feel like whenever I, I, if I ask you something, it's going to lead down another incredible path. So I, I, I think I'm going to start closing this down, but what I first want to say is thank you so, so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I feel like feel like I want to know more Rachel like I, I I just this was phenomenal thank you thank you yes thank you so much for having me it's so fun it's so fun to do these I love it it's always fun I love doing these before we end is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with listeners just letting people know that where you are is where you are and if you learn to accept that it's very centering and very peaceful and you can radically accept that even if it feels like what I don't want to accept that I want this to change if you radically accept it you can also change it but being at peace at the start gives you more access to stumble and fall and learn and take the next step and just keep going so that's really important to recovery. That's really important to self-development. And once again, that's really important to your relationship with yourself. Rachel, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. <laughs> All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, 
listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.